not you, it's me. And so what we've been doing in this series is we've been learning how to live a life where you are the problem. And I know that's kind of an interesting title, uh, but, but I think what we've learned so far is that not everything is somebody else's fault. Uh, we've learned that, that in our life, there are things that happen that, that are really our fault and our sin is our problem. And that's kind of what's been the focus of this series is being able to learn how to own your own sin. And so just a little bit of a review, if you haven't been here or if you don't remember, the first week we started in Genesis 3. And we, we learned about how Adam and Eve, the first time that somebody was confronted with their sin, uh, their, their immediate reaction was to blame somebody else. Their reaction was to say, hey, well, it was this person's fault or it was God's fault or it was Satan's fault that I sinned. And we learned those are the three people that we really blame. We blame God, we blame other people, and we blame Satan for, for the sins that we do because we don't want to admit that there are problems. And, and so we learned that the wrong response to sin is blame. But we learned that the right response to sin, when we're confronted with our sin, we learned that the correct response is ownership. And that's what David did in Psalm 51 when he takes ownership of his sin and he admits to God, hey, this is my sin, it was my fault. And so what we've been doing now is we're on a journey to get from Genesis 3, where everything is somebody else's fault, where, where my sin is everybody else's fault. We're trying to get from Genesis 3 to Psalm 51, where we're able to take ownership of our sin. So the first step of that is owning our guilt. We learned about that last week from the book of Romans is we learned that we were guilty. We're guilty, every single one of us, before a holy God. What we deserve is to spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's what we deserve. And yet it's because of his mercy and his grace that we don't have to. We're able to spend eternity with God in heaven. So that's the first step from getting to Genesis 3 to Psalm 51 is, uh, is admitting your guilt. But then tonight, we're going to talk about something that's a kind of a hot topic today. And we're going to talk about judging properly. How many of you guys have ever misjudged someone? Let me see your hands. How have you ever? Yeah. Okay. I have a story from this past week. Uh, this past week, I went over to uh, one uh, a family that's been visiting our church. I went over to their house for dinner and we spent a lot of time uh, talking. And one of the women that, that was in the family, she's pregnant. She, she was talking about her pregnancy and talking about when she was due. So I asked her, when are you due? And she tells me when she's due and, and talks about, you know, everything that has to do with pregnancy stuff. And so, so she tells me when she's due. And there's another lady in the room who I thought was pregnant, genuinely. I thought I had heard she was pregnant and I was, I was 90% sure that she was pregnant. So I looked at her and I said, what about you? Now, look, if you're not sure, guys, don't ask. <laughs> Just don't. Because she looked at me with the straightest face and said, I'm not. And that is such a terrible, terrible moment. Like you want to crawl under a couch somewhere. Like you never want to be, you never want your face to be seen ever again. Like that is such a terrible moment. Praise God. She looked at me and she said, I'm just kidding. I actually am. And uh, she said, don't do that to me. Cause she almost gave me a heart attack. I almost died. Uh, it was not nice. But when we misjudge people, there's always consequences. When we judge people the wrong way, it's never good because there's always consequences. When we judge people the wrong way, it almost always will, <clears throat> excuse me, will lead us to conflict. And we see this a lot in the church world, right? Where, where people will find something out about another church and they'll begin to, to criticize them because they don't do something the same way that, that, that they do. And so they begin to talk about them and they begin to spread rumors about that church and, and rumors that may or may not even be true. And they, they continue to talk and spread lies and spread rumors about them and, and, and when they're really not sure about anything. And they begin to judge them 
the wrong way. And we see that in churches that leads to conflict, but it doesn't just lead to conflict in church life. It leads to conflict in your personal life. Well, see, when you misjudge people properly, for example, if you misjudge your spouse properly or you judge him or her the wrong way, it will lead to conflict in your house. Or if you misjudge a friend, you judge them in the wrong way, it will lead to conflict in that relationship because misjudging people, judging the wrong way, will always lead us to conflict. And there's a lot of questions about judgment in the church today, whether we should judge or whether we shouldn't judge. And Jesus does a great job in Matthew 7 on teaching us how we should judge improper, how to judge improperly, and then how to judge properly. So if you have a Bible with you tonight, however you have a copy of God's Word, if you have it on your phone or if you have a uh, physical copy of it, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. So go ahead and turn there with me, find Matthew chapter 7. And I want to tell you a little bit of what's going on in this chapter. So Matthew 7, or Matthew 5 through Matthew 7 has been come, come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. And so what happens is Jesus, he sees this multitude of people that are, that are coming toward him. And he, what he does is there's these thousands, probably thousands of people, they're coming toward him, they want to hear him teach. And Jesus turns around and he retreats up into a mountain away from the multitudes of people. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it says that when Jesus, his disciples, came to him, he began to teach them. And this is something that I've always thought about the Sermon on the Mount. I always thought, because this is the longest recorded sermon that Jesus ever preached. And I always thought, you know, if it's the longest recorded sermon, there's probably thousands of people listening to him. I mean, this is a huge sermon. But the Bible seems to indicate there really wasn't that many people there. It was just Jesus and his disciples. And he sat down and began to teach them, which makes sense because if we look at the content of Matthew 5 through 7, what Jesus is doing is he's teaching his disciples what it looks like to be a follower of him. And, and so in Matthew 6, Jesus has just finished his segment of his sermon on worry. So he talks about worry. He talks about how we don't have to worry that our father in heaven will take care of us. That's the, that's the whole thing about the, the sparrows. They fall from heaven or without, without God doesn't, God knows every sparrow that falls from heaven, that whole thing that Jesus talks about. And then we get to chapter number seven. And that's where Jesus says this in verse number one. He says, judge not that ye be not judged for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with, and, and with what measure, measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the moat out of thy, thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. So Jesus, in this passage, he's talking about judgment. He's talking about what it means to judge improperly and what it means to judge properly. So this week, we're going to talk about how to judge improperly. How to not judge is what we're going to talk about tonight. And then next week, we're going to talk about how to judge, how Christians should judge. And there's two aspects that Jesus gives in this, in this uh, first four verses of this chapter, uh, two aspects of judging improperly that I want to look at. And in, the first one is found in verses one and two, and that's this, improper judgment is self-righteous. Look at verse number one. He says, judge not that ye be not judged. Now, this is probably one of the most misquoted and misused verses in the New Testament. I mean, you've probably heard it and seen it on social media before. 
where you post something about pro-life or you post something about the LGBTQ movement and somebody is, is, is bound and determined every single time to put something in the comments that says, hey, doesn't the Bible says that you shouldn't judge? Like, doesn't the Bible say that you're not supposed to judge the lifestyle that, that I'm in right now? And they use this verse to try to say like, hey, you're never supposed to be discerning. You're never supposed to, to, to distinguish between right and wrong. And that's really not what Jesus is saying in this verse. Because if that is what Jesus is saying, we have a huge problem with the rest of Scripture. We, we have a problem with Paul when in 1 Corinthians 2.15, he says, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things. So, so Jesus, he says that you shouldn't judge. And then Paul says that if you're spiritual, you're going to judge everything. That doesn't really make sense. And then we also have a problem with John the Baptist, who when he goes to Herod and says, hey, the fact that you married your brother's wife was wrong, that seems a little judgmental, honestly. I mean, if you're asking me, that seems like he's, he's being a little judgmental. We also have a problem with Jesus. When in Matthew 23, he calls the Pharisees whited sepulchers filled with dead man's bones. Now, I don't know how you can get more judgmental than that. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty intense. So we have a problem with all these biblical characters if what Jesus is saying here is that you should never be discerning or you should never distinguish between right and wrong. So that can't be what Jesus is trying to say here. But I also think, because most of us in this room, I'm talking to the Sunday night crowd, most of us in this room, we know that. We know that Jesus isn't saying that we should never be discerned or that we should never distinguish between right and wrong. But I think that there's also another ditch that we can fall into where we just say that these verses really don't matter. And we would never say that, but that's how we live. Like any time that we're cruel or, or, or ridicule somebody, and they say, they say, you know, you should stop being so judgmental. We kind of brush it off as if, as if this verse doesn't exist in Bible. So there's two ditches that we can fall into with this passage. And I want to make sure that we understand exactly what Jesus is saying in these verses. So the, ver the word for judge is the word krino in the Greek. And it's a really interesting word because it literally just means to condemn or to pronounce judgment on someone. So, so the way it was, it had a wide range of uses, but the, the most uh, commonly used uh, context for this word was in a court system. It was talking about a judge. And th this was a person who was elevated above everyone else and determined the sentence of the person in question. This was the person who, if, a, if someone committed a crime, the judge was the one who, who was above everyone else in the room, and he determined the consequence of that man's action. That's what this word is talking about. And that is the kind of judgment that, that Jesus is speaking against here. He's speaking against the kind of judgment where you're elevating yourself above other people and, and making yourself the final judge of every consequence or of every action. And this is a huge problem with Christians because we think that because we come to church and because we give some to the church and because we do a bunch of stuff and because we serve and because we're involved and because we do all of these things that somehow God has given us the right and the position of being the judge over other people. And it's just not true. The only person who has the authority to be the final judge of everything is God himself. And he has not given us the right to be that judge. When we judge with the heart of I am better than that person, we're not living in light of the gospel. 
because the gospel says, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, the gospel says, I am a sinner. I am deserving of nothing more other than spending eternity in hell. The gospel says that Jesus came down to this earth, was born in a feeding trough in Bethlehem amongst poor people. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came down to this earth and was born as a poor person and then lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, died the death that we should have died, and then rose again from the dead so that our sins could be paid for because we could never work our way to heaven. That's the gospel. There is nowhere in the gospel that says you were good enough. There was nowhere in the gospel that said you were more righteous than someone else. There was nowhere in the gospel that said that we, as a church, have the place of the final authority in someone's life. Or the final judge in someone's life. And when we live out this life of saying that I am better than someone, and I know this is a buzzword that people throw out a lot, but that's legalism. When you're living a life that you genuinely believe, and we would never say it, but when you believe that you are able to criticize someone because you are somehow better than they are, it's legalism. And that's the same sin that Jesus criticized the Pharisees for. He says that it's wrong. And so when that person comes to church and they walk in the back doors and they're maybe not dressed up to to your standards, And on your way home, you're like, man, I can't believe they're wearing that. Who would wear something like that to church? What in the world? They're disgusting. It's wrong. When you find out that your buddy went on a vacation with his family and he's spending time with his family away from home, he takes a vacation and you get around your other friends and you begin to criticize him and say, man, this guy's so lazy. What? I haven't taken a day off in three years and he's on a week-long vacation in the Bahamas. Like what? Like this guy is so lazy. It's wrong. That is the kind of judgment, this self-righteous judgment that Jesus is talking about here. I have a fly that really loves me right now. And it needs to go away. Or you hear somebody listen to a song. A Christian song that you would never find yourself listening to. And you come in and you begin to ridicule and criticize them because of how they're interpreting scripture in their life. And Jesus says, this is not the kind of judgment that a follower of me will display. It's wrong. This is the exact mindset that Jesus illustrates in Luke 18 when he gives this parable. And I want to read it to you. Luke 18, verse, verse, starting in verse 9. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. But he says this. And he spake a parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised other. Man, I hope that that doesn't describe us. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And because of that, they despised other people. And this is the, the parable that he tells them. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a publican. So one, the righteous guy, the one who thought that he was above everybody else, the, the judgmental guy, that, that's the Pharisee. And then the publican, the lowest of low in their society, the one who everybody hated. No one wanted to be around him. These two go up in the temple to pray. And Jesus says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. So this publican, he goes to God. And the Bible says that he prayed thus with himself. So, so that tells us that God isn't even hearing this prayer. Like he's not even acknowledging it. He's praying to himself. And he begins to, he begins to brag to God about all the good stuff that he does. And he says, God, I'm not like this guy. And I'm not like this guy. And I'm definitely not like that publican over there. I'm not unjust like these guys. I am righteous. And then he says that the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That should be our attitude. No matter how long you've been in church, no matter how much you give, no matter what kind of clothes you wear, that should be our attitude. Because remember, Isaiah was a preacher. The man used his mouth to communicate God's word. And when he stood before God, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. That should be our attitude. When's the last time that you had an encounter with God? And I'm not talking about some weird, creepy thing, right? But I'm talking about an encounter with God where you fell on your knees and you realized the kind of person that you were before a holy God. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate here because we are not better than other people. We're not righteous. The only righteousness that we have on our account is the righteousness of Jesus. And that's it. The problem with this judgment is it places you in the position of God in somebody else's life. And it's wrong. Because we, we were not created to be the final judge. We were created to be discerning. We were created with a moral compass, right? The Bible tells us that in Romans 1. We're, we're supposed to be able to distinguish between right and wrong, but we are not the ones who, who stand and condemn others. We're not the final judge. That's God's job. It's not ours. We cannot judge from a place of self-righteousness. I said this because there is no righteousness out, out of, in ourselves aside from the righteousness of Jesus. And look what he says in verse 2. Let me get back there. I went to Luke 18. Verse 2. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. What Jesus is saying here is the judgment that you judge other people with is the judgment that you are going to be judged with by others. And most of us who, who, who have this self-righteous judgment, I'm talking to myself too, because I fall into this trap all the time. Most of us who have self-righteousness, who, who feel like we are good in and of ourselves, who feel like we have the authority to judge other people, we feel like we're good. We feel like we're doing all right. We, we feel like we are better than someone else. But here's a good question to ask. If someone criticized you with the same criticism that you criticize others, would you fall short? I'll tell you the answer. Yes. Like if somebody criticized your kids with the same scrutiny that you criticize other people's kids, would you fall short? If your spouse was as critical to you as you are to them, would you fall short? And if we're honest with ourselves, the answer is probably Yes, I know it is for me. So Jesus, what he does, that this leads us into our second truth that we find from this passage. 
Because remember, self-righteous people, they don't see any flaws in themselves. And at least when they do, they ignore it. And that's our second truth, is that improper judgment ignores its sin. And what Jesus does is he gives them an illustration in verses 3 and 4. He says this, look, at, look down, Matthew 7, verse 3. He says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine, o- pull the, out the mote out of thine, own, thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. So Jesus gives this illustration. He says, you have, you have two guys, right? Two guys, two friends, and the one friend notices that there's a moat. That, that is a twig or a piece of straw, some small kind of piece of wood. And he sees this moat in his brother's eye. And so he goes over to him and he says, hey, let me help you out. And as he's walking to him, he's smacking people in the head with the two by four that is going through his eye. Right? It's a ridiculous picture. It makes no, it, like, like this probably would not happen. But Jesus is saying that's how ridiculous you are. I remember when I was a teenager, I, my mom, she liked watching this TV show called Untold Stories of the ER. How many of you guys have ever seen it? Let me see your hands. Okay, a couple of you. How many of you like it? Let me see your hands. Nobody. Good, because I was going to call you weird. Um, nobody likes that show. Only weird people. No, I'm just kidding, because my mom watched it, so I'm not going to say that. But I remember I came home from school one day, and what this, this TV show is, is it's, li- it's real stories about things that have happened in the emergency rooms. And they're like the grossest stories in the world of stuff that have happened in emergency rooms. So I came home from school one day, and my mom was watching this show on TV. And I walked into the room, and I sat down on the couch, and I wanted to be watching something else, but my mom was in control of the TV when she had the remote, because if I tried to take it, she would smack me in the hand. So I'm watching the show with her. I sit down, and I'm ready to watch it. And then an episode comes on, if you're squeamish, plug your ears, of this guy who was driving his motorcycle too fast and ran into a chain link fence, right? And it messed him up bad because the chain link fence had these long metal poles in it, like most chain link fences do. And this pole in the chain link fence had gone through his mouth and out the other side of his head and just lodged itself there. And I'm watching this and this guy comes into the hospital And I'm like, first of all, I'm like, why are we watching this? Like, please turn it off. I don't want to watch this anymore. But this guy comes into the hospital. He's on the little gurney rack. And I'm thinking in my head, this guy's dead. Like, there's no way. They're not saving him. He's got a metal tube through his neck, through his mouth, and then out the back of his neck. There's no way this guy's going to survive. The guy comes in, rolled in on this little gurney, and he is texting. Texting on his phone. Like, and this is a true story. Because it missed his spinal cord. And so the guy, he's got a metal tube through his mouth, out the back of his neck, and he is texting on his phone. What was crazier is the doctor looks at this guy and he says, hey, buddy, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you for asking. No, he says, hey, can you give me a thumbs up? And the guy does it. He gives him a thumbs up, completely conscious. But I tell that story to say if that guy saw that the doctor who was treating him had a splinter in his thumb, That man was not going to stop everything and say, hey, doc, you got a splinter in your thumb. Let me help you get it out. There's no way. That was not going to happen. It would have been ridiculous. And Jesus says, that is how we look when we try to help others with their sin without dealing with ours first. That's how we look. We, We look ridiculous. He calls it hypocritical. To, to, to ignore sin in your own life and go try to tell others how they should live. And this is so prevalent in the church. 
because we walk in on Sunday mornings and we put our best on and we come in and we try to act like we don't have any problems and we, we, we have the kids come in and we try to get the kids to stop arguing and we stop arguing with our wife before we come in because we don't want anybody to see that we have problems in our own life and we come in and we look all sharp, we look good and we try to, our kids, they're, they're perfect and we try to act like everything is good in our life and then we try to help other people. And Jesus says that is not what a follower of me looks like. In other words, what Jesus is trying to say here is that you cannot disciple someone properly until you're honest with them. And with yourself. And with God. It requires repentance. See, we're so quick to judge other people. We're so quick to, to say, to say, man, I, I can't believe she, or I can't believe he, or she only sings in church for the attention, or he only married her because of her looks, or this guy only did this because of this. And we question people's motives, and we question the things that people do, and we judge them. And when they come into church, we're critical of people, and we do all of these things. But we're very slow to be judgmental of ourselves. We kind of want to push our sins to the side. We don't want to acknowledge that stuff. We just want to look at the wrong in others. See, Jesus says, while we are quick to judge others and slow to judge ourselves, we should be quick to judge ourselves and slow to judge others. And I truly believe that if we were as critical of ourselves as we were to other people, we would have much less time to be critical of others because we would be dealing with our own garbage. Because we, we don't want to look in the closets of our mind. We don't want to look at the stuff that we do. We don't want to look at all of that sin. We want to look at others. But if we spent some time and really looked over on this side, we would find a lot of stuff that we need to deal with. But we don't want to. That's why Jesus says in verse number three, he says, but considerest not the beam in thine own eye. The word considerest me means to fix one's eyes or mind upon. I wonder if you were to fix your mind and your eyes upon just being a disciple of Jesus, how much less time you would have to be judgmental of other people. I think we'd have a lot less. See, we want to spend a lot of time talking about other people's sins. We don't want to spend a lot of time talking about our own. Like, like we want to talk about, about the abortion issues in America, and we want to talk about how terrible it is. We want to talk about how awful it is. And we spend so much time talking about the, this abortion issue in the United States, which is terrible, and it needs to be talked about. But we talk about it so much that we don't want to talk about our porn problem. So we talk about the, the, the LGBTQ problem in the United States and we're criticizing other people for their sin and we're, we're like, man, they're disgusting. I can't believe them. But we don't want to talk about the disrespect that we showed our spouse. We don't want to talk about these things. We, 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 don't, we want to talk about all the evil that's going on in the world. We want to talk about everybody else. We want to talk about how terrible Joe Biden is, how terrible Nancy Pelosi is. We want to talk about all of these people and how terrible they are, but we don't want to talk about our prideful hearts. And if we spent as much time analyzing our own life and trying to get sin out of our own life rather than criticizing others for theirs, I believe that the church would be a much better place. I wonder, when's the last time that the sins that you thought about 
were not somebody else's but your own. Think about that. When's the last time you turned off the news? Stop thinking about all the evil that's going on out there. And started thinking about all the evil that's going on in here. Man, this was so convicting for me studying this because Jesus tells us like that is not what a follower of him looks like. See, a follower of him will, will, will concentrate on the beam in his own eye first. And next week we're going to talk about, because the, the, the last verse, verse 5, tells us how we should judge properly. And we're going to talk about that next week. But tonight we're talking about how to judge improperly. And Jesus says how to judge improperly. Here's how, we, how, how you do it. If you want to judge someone improperly, here's how you do it. You do it with a self-righteous heart. Thinking that you're better than everybody else. Feeling like you have the place of the final judge in someone's life. Rather than scripture or rather than God himself. And then he says you do it by ignoring your own sin. And focusing only on the sins of others. I wonder, does that describe your heart toward other people tonight? Do you judge people with a self-righteous attitude? And I know we, we would never say this, but do you look at others and think, man, I'm so much better than they are? That's not living a life where you're the problem. That's living a life where somebody else is the problem. I wonder, when's the last time you thought about how you offended God and not how somebody else offended God? When's the last time you sinned and it broke your heart rather than somebody else sinning and it broke your heart? That's how we judge improperly. We judge improperly by having a self-righteous spirit and by ignoring our own sin. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. And let's stand together. And as the piano plays, I just want to give us some time to respond. And if those two things describe your attitude toward people tonight, just repent of it. That's what God wants.